Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. President Biden has issued an executive order placing an indefinite moratorium on new leases for oil and gas development on federal lands. Supporters of the measure say it's a positive step and that previous lease sales on federal lands have harmed some of the West's most cherished landscapes and slowed the nation's shift to clean energy. Opponents argue that the moratorium will further harm already hard-hit economies with an outsized impact on rural areas. In the second half of the program, we're going to be talking with Steve Block, legal director with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, and Jim Robbins, who's written about this topic recently in Yale Environment 360 magazine. We begin with a conversation that I recorded on Friday with State Senator Ronald Winterton, Republican from Roosevelt. Let me start with, uh, I guess, the, the, the area that you represent. This is District 26, uh, so this is northeastern Utah, essentially. Yeah, yes it is. It takes in uh, Summit County, well, two-thirds of Summit County, uh, most all of Wasatch County, Duchesne County, Uinta County, and Daggett County. So northeastern Utah, uh, quite a large uh, landmass district. And you're in Roosevelt, I think. Yes, I am. Yeah. So obviously this is um, is oil-producing areas, um, and uh, so we we thought that you definitely have a a point of view on uh, President Biden's executive order placing an indefinite moratorium on new leases for oil and gas development on federal lands. Uh, Governor Cox has, along with several elected officials, come out against this. Uh, What is your position? Well, um, it that's the economy out there. So this this is a big uh, uh, disappointment to to those citizens there in the basin because uh, not only has the oil prices been in a slump, but now to looking forward to saying no more leases. Um, is there any light at the end of the tunnel for them? So yeah, it's a big concern for us. There's a lot of oil out there, but uh, when you look at uh, Duchesne Unit counties, um, Duchesne County is about 70 percent federally uh, federal land, and then Unit County is uh, oh low 90s, and uh, then you put uh, the tribal trust lands in there. It doesn't leave you a lot of uh, taxable land or options for diversifying the economy out there. So. Yeah, it it does bring a lot of uh, real concern. Of course, the uh, the groups who are opposing this moratorium are citing a, a study which was commissioned, I, I think, quite recently. Timothy Constantine at the University of Wyoming, uh, who's predicting quite large losses, uh, economic losses, wage losses, job losses. Do you, I don't know if you've seen this study, and are, are, does that make you maybe even more concerned? Well, it does, especially on the state level, because as we come to rely on those those revenues to help with the impacts caused from that, um, where does the state pick up the difference in revenues? Uh, you know, you, you look, and if you want to bring the Ute tribe, uh, they have a lot of land out there. And I was told that about 60% of the revenue for the tribe comes exactly off from their their mineral productions and and so it caught their attention they they shot a letter off to the president um, last friday 
By Monday, he had retracted and saying, well, yeah, we're not going to limit tribes on, on their their lands. And, and you know, they're a sovereign nation, and so they do have the right to decide what to do with their land, not the federal government. So uh, put that back in the picture. Yeah, the activity in the basin can stay alive because the tribe will, will continue to drill or to produce their oil. So is it all bad? It's not as good as we would hope it would be, but uh, we'll, we'll go on with what we've been dealt. What are you hearing from constituents? Um, you, you, I, of course, the argument in favor of a moratorium is preservation of uh, potentially uh, sensitive uh, areas. That's one, one argument. Well, you know, they want to bring that up, but any time that a company um, bids on these leases, they don't know what they're up against other than when they get ready to apply for a drilling permit. Then they go through the NEPA, and they go through all those steps. And so uh, the BLM is usually the agency that, that does this permitting. They don't, they don't allow those sensitive areas to even be considered. And so um, I just – these companies work 10 and 15 years down the road. And when you are putting your, your uh, business plan together and your portfolio on how you're going to keep your employees or your company afloat and you're looking that far down the road and you've gone through these steps, yeah, some of the companies have got permits issued, but uh, – if we don't have any more light at the end of the tunnel, then they need to start figuring out where they get to go. If they're going to stay uh, a company, are they going to leave the state? Are they going to go to another state? Um, so, yeah, it, it does bring a lot of concern and unsettlement to to the people that are in that industry. And a lot of them have been laid off and let go this last year. Uh, COVID and the price of oil both contributed to that mess. And and you in a county right now is 11% unemployment. Duchesne, I think, was 9.8. And for the president to do something like that, I don't believe that they looked at, well, what does this mean to the economy out there? What are we going to do for these people? Are we supposed to relocate them? Uh, is there any other kind of... Uh, offer that we can give them to, uh, there's nothing there. It's just that it's a flat policy and to to devastate and affect uh, 50,000 lives and, and the jobs that, that go with that. Yeah, I think that a lot of people can, can't find a silver lining there. Hmm. Uh, Sally Jewell, of course, President Obama's Interior Secretary, uh, commented on this. She says the uh the she says in, uh, the industry energy speculators are holding more leases than they know what to do with she says already been a lot sold and and a big backlog what, uh, what would you say about that well they are holding a lot of leases but you know a lot of times they i know companies that's worked 10 and 12 years to get through the permitting process uh who who would pay that kind of money and work for that amount of time without any return on their investment. And, and um, 
yeah, they're sitting on inventory because they have to play play so far down the road. And, and so they're continuously looking to add to their inventory, and then they work from whatever the BLM will permit, that's where they go. Oftentimes people wonder, well, why do they drill in this section? And then they go clear across the other side uh, of the basin and drill there, and then they go clear back to the other side. Well, it's because a lot of times that's the way the permits come in. If they could get all the permits in one section and drill there and then move to the next, for the companies it would be more economical, but that's not the way that, you know, it works. And so they continuously look way out. They work the whole time for those permits. When they get the opportunity to drill, then they drill. It's not that, well, they're not using the ones they got. Well, it's because they haven't been able to get through the permitting process. I don't know any other business that operates, you know, that far down the road and puts that much money out for a possibility. I talked to one producer last week. He had invested $29 million into his leases. He does have uh, some permits to drill, but how many years will it take him to to recoup his investment on just the leases alone and then put the cost of drilling on top of that? They have a lot of money tied up into this before they ever get payment back. And so I feel for them. And and to be on the yo-yo string of the federal government year after year on your business, I don't know why they do it other than the fact that we all like to drive our cars. We like to fly to vacation. We like to turn on the lights. All of this stuff comes back to this industry. And uh, so... um, we just have to find other ways to do it. Uh, they want to force us into going into, uh, you know, alternative uh, energy sources. We're all for that, and this industry too. But the the reality of it is, is the wind doesn't blow every day, and, and um, the sun doesn't shine every day. We have clouds, and, and in our country, sometimes we get sucked in with fog. I'd like to see those people survive off from solar or from wind power. It doesn't happen. They have to rely on some other energy in the meantime, and this is the industry that takes a lot of bad raps for it. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I feel for them, and I certainly, as, as there's probably 90% of the jobs out there are in the energy sector or related to the energy sector, you have those in in agricultural and those in in education and those in, in food supply. So I guess I ought to back up saying maybe 80% of these are all, all related to the industry out there. So in, in the months to come, this will have a devastation on on them. And uh, I, I would like to see some other proposal. The administration is going to affect uh, – one sector of our economy this heavily, what's their answer? You know, they they certainly don't have it. So I will, you know, be interested to see what comes out of this now because it, it is very concerning to the lives of those people, to the, the revenue to the counties out there, to the revenue to the state. Uh, the state has relied on the severance taxes that are paid out there, uh, and that's from the production on, on private land and on, on tribal land, the federal land is mineral lease money. And that's kind of a, 
a bonus that the the federal government shares in the royalties back to the state and, and the counties on that, and that's supposed to be uh, meant to help them with the uh, impacts and the infrastructure that's necessary to to fuel this economy. So I have my, uh, I guess, wait and see mode on because I don't have the answers here. Mm. Now, uh, the Biden administration has characterized this as uh, in, uh, indefinite, right? There's there's no end date. I guess that could that could cut either way. At a certain point, the it could be lifted, or I guess it could just go on indefinitely. What uh, yeah. what are your thoughts there? Uh, obviously, you're you're hoping, counseling, advising the uh, administration to to lift this. But yeah, they need you know to come that hardcore. Let's really, you know, as the BLM looks at these um, lands that's already been leased, let's let's give these companies their leases. And again, the process in reviewing all of that, uh, the NEPA that is done on that, when they get done, then they say, "Yeah, we'll give you a permit." Okay, I feel comfortable that they've looked at all of these and checked all the boxes. Um, we just we shouldn't be put in that situation that any time that we have a change of administration that people's lives are now affected in a negative way. Most people enjoy where they live and, and they're comfortable. And now to say, well, we better start looking around to, to move somewhere else if we want to, to have food on the table. And the administration just has they have not given any answers for this. Uh, I want to ask about, you made reference to it, I want to ask about it now, uh, how has COVID hit northeastern Utah? It it has not been as severe uh, as other places in the state. Uh, they've had cases, but um, it, they can't continue to to. To work, uh, they've tried to open up their businesses and, and, and get back to as normal life as you can can. But uh, COVID for the oil field is that they still have to go out there and get the oil out of the ground, and so for that, yeah, they're fortunate that they can still work. It's not in a, a closed setting. Uh, this industry just everything is outside. So the oil and gas industry, uh, it sounds like the bigger hit uh, in the in the recent past has been, uh, I guess, just the, the economy, right? Lower oil and gas prices. Yeah, the oil in the basin, it, um, because if you understand the, the oil out there is not like the light crude anywhere else in the United States. It, this has a wax paraphernalia. Uh, it, it sets up. If it's not over 110 degrees, it's like a candle. And so um, you can't just start and stop those things. They need to be, the oil needs to be moving. Uh, you can't shut it off and then think, well, you can go back, you know, next month or the following month and, and start flowing. It sets up. And so there's challenges to the, to this industry. And, uh, it's, it's very good for the environment in the fact that if you look at uh, the properties in this oil, when they blend it with other oils, the light crude oils, they make a tier three fuel out of it, which 
is lower emissions, and everybody wants lower emissions for their their fuel and that. There's a great demand for it. So the, the basin crude, because of, of being stranded, having to be on insulated uh, trucks to get it to the refinery, to take it to other states, poses a challenge. We've pretty well figured that out now, but it's costly to put it on a truck to get it to the train. And, and so we get paid, I think today we're about $12, $12 less per barrel than what West Texas is. And the Brent was a couple dollars more than that. So, again, they were, we're fortunate that the refineries in Salt Lake will, will take the oil, but they don't pay us top dollar. And so it, it's really a struggle for these people in the basin to – to, to be profitable enough to, to keep going and to have the administration do something like that, I'd be throwing in the towel because I, I don't know that I could live on that roller coaster. There there has been at times an, an air quality problem in the basin, right? Do, do people lay that at the feet of the industry? No. You know, it's funny... Over the last, what, five years, I think we've had three days of exceedance in what the federal standards say, but they keep reducing those standards, and industries under that most of, all of the time. The only time that the basin actually has uh, a problem is when the inversion sets in and, and we get socked in, um, then that can escape. And they want to blame it on the industry, but... Look at the Salt Lake Valley. You know, they get sucked in a lot longer than, than the basin. Uh, we have very good clean in, uh, air out there. The people out there are not uh, running around worried about it because you can, you can see every place. When I come to the city for the session and that, as the session progresses, the air quality here gets worse and worse to the point where I can't see the, mount- the Ochre Mountains in that. I've never had that happen in, in, in the Una Basin. We have the wind come in, and it sets it out, but the exceedances, I think we had one this year. Uh, about three years ago, we had a couple of days, but very, very minor. And, and to put us in the same cag- category uh, as the whole state is not fair because the this industry have has done it on their own. They've tried to electrify their field, cut the emissions out. If they can't do that, they've, they've done everything they can for their motors to make uh, the emissions um, very low. Uh, they vented their tanks, captured all of that. So um, when they want to stay in business, they can figure it out. And, and I think they've been very responsible in, in the air quality issues that they've been faced with. Um, you you uh, you say that uh, I think you said what eighty percent uh, out in northeastern Utah eighty percent of the jobs uh, you know uh, connected in some way with the oil and gas industry. Um, yeah. uh, of course, this is we know a finite resource. It might be many years in the future, but at some point come to an end. Uh, is there is there concern uh, of you know planning for a, a more balanced economy in the future? Well. Um... And, and that's a good point. I mean, we have, and I served for 10 years as county commissioner out there in Duchesne County. 
And the state was always telling us, you guys need to diversify. You need to come up with something different. Well, again, the challenges are there. It's really hard to to bring in manufacturing, uh, any other industry like that, unless you have an interstate, a, a rail, or an international airport. Well, there's three strikes against the basin. So now with the uh, proposed rail, Unibasin Railway, uh, hopefully coming in, in in a couple of years, now we can go after some of those other industries. The one thing that the basin does offer that uh, the Salt Lake Valley Steel is having a hard time trying to get up to speed on it is the broadband uh, capabilities out there. We've had fiber optics out there for probably five years at most homes. Uh, the speed out there is unbelievable. If people love the outdoors or, or that kind of lifestyle, they can live there if their job is related to on the, on the Internet or work from home. It's a great place. And so there's a lot of possibilities now um, that are starting to open up that, yeah, we could replace this industry eventually, but it, we couldn't do it overnight. And so I think uh, I'm one that is looking forward to the uh, railroad project so that we can then explore all of these others. There's been a lot of excitement and interest in a rail coming to the basin, and not just here in the state. This is from outside of the state of Utah, back east. Those people that are in um, industrial jobs, manufacturing jobs, they're very excited about this because Utah does have an extremely good workforce. Uh, you get your money's worth for your employees, and so they are looking at that. We also have one of the cheapest energy rates in the country when you look at electricity, and that's enticing to, to these people that use that. And so it'll sell itself if we can just get uh, a competitive wage or a competitive uh, transportation out there to put it wherever we need it in the United States or to the coast. I want to follow up with the railway. Uh, you know, I've heard rumors over the years, and, and of course this latest plan seems to be more solid than rumor. What uh, is, is this a solid plan? Is this going to happen in the next few years? Yeah, I believe it will. Uh, here in the first part of January, can't remember, second or third January, the Surface Transportation Board, who's doing this uh, review on this application, came out and gave the green light that said all of the transportation merits are good. They pass on it. Uh, and then they said, uh, it, as long as the environmental review comes in, then we should be able to give you a certificate to construct. And so I believe it's going to happen. And again, it comes right back to the questions you ask, what do you do if you can't drill oil? Well, we need to, to have this in order to, to have options. And it would be three years out. They wouldn't be able to be get the engineering done for 
probably a year, and then it will be a two-year construction window. So we're still three years out. Uh, can the basin hang on producing small amounts of oil like they have? Yeah, we have for the past 40 years lived off from the 80,000 barrels a day. But we also take a, a price uh, gouge on, on our commodity, and people will continue to do what they're doing. But if we could give them an option and look at the, explore the Internet options, uh, we have quite a few uh, options out there with the college and the technical school in training, uh, these high-tech jobs. Very good, very good. So um, from my perspective, yeah, that's going to be the answer to the base. And it, we're at a better place now than ever before. I know that in years past they've always studied the rail and then they've, they've turned it down saying it's too expensive and it doesn't pencil out. Well, this this one here, they've done their high-level engineering. They've actually... This will become a private project once they have the um, certificate to construct. Uh, Drexel and Hamilton out of New York will take this project on and own it, finance it, and they've uh, brought on a partner out of Texas that will build the rail and operate it. And so that tells me the private sector is invested in this project. They believe that it, it is very uh good prospects uh, and paying for itself so for the for the public and, and for the government our our part of this is is finished hmm. well we'll keep an eye on that we'll keep an eye on of course uh, always the situation in the Una basin northeastern utah and we've been talking with senator ronald winterton uh, lives in Roosevelt. He's Republican, uh, Representative District 26, which uh, encompasses uh, much of uh, northeastern Utah. Senator Winterton, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us. Well, thanks for the invitation. You're listening to Access Utah. That's my conversation recorded on Friday with Senator Ronald Winterton. Uh, represents northeastern Utah. He's a Republican from Roosevelt. And as you heard there, uh, he opposes the moratorium. We're talking about President Biden's executive order placing an indefinite moratorium on new leases for oil and gas development on federal lands. After a break, we'll be talking with Steve Block, legal director with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. More following this. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. President Biden has issued an executive order placing an indefinite moratorium on new leases for oil and gas development on federal lands. Supporters of the moratorium say it's a positive step that previous lease sales on federal lands have harmed some of the West's most cherished landscapes and slowed the nation's shift to clean energy. And opponents are arguing that the moratorium will further harm already hard-hit economies with an outsized impact on rural areas. And we're talking about this on the program today. In the first half of the program, we uh, talked with Senator Ronald Winterton, Republican from uh, Roosevelt, a state senator. And uh, we bring in now Steve Block, legal director with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Uh, Steve Block, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we were also uh, to have in this segment of the program Jim Robbins, who's written about this in Yale Environment 360 magazine. We haven't been able to reach him, but uh, perhaps he'll join us later in the program. So, Steve Block, I want to get an email in here um, responding to Senator Winterton. 
um, and and have you comment on this as well. This is Tom and Vernal. Uh, Tom says, I'm a constituent of Ron Winterton. I support the moratorium. In answer to his comment, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. The fossil fuels are non-renewable. We'll run out and face the issue of reinventing our economy sooner or later. If there was no serious impact, it wouldn't matter. But, of course, we know there now there is a serious impact. The ongoing climate disaster we're living through, including Utah, in eastern Utah, average temperatures are already several degrees warmer than they were 50 years ago. I'll be interested to learn if the term global warming is used in this discussion. Uh, so thanks for that, uh, Tom. Uh, Steve Block, your, your reaction to Tom's uh, comments? Well, I think Tom's reaction was uh, similar to mine in listening to Senator Winterton's. I mean, uh, he didn't mention the words climate change at all, and that, as we know, is what is... Uh, is the very real threat that's facing us here in Utah, facing the world right now. And uh, President Biden's moratorium on new leasing, his stated goal to, to meet uh, the protection of 30% of the nation's lands and waters by 2030 to reduce our heavy dependency on fossil fuels, those are all not hoped for steps, but critical steps in order to save the planet. And that, that sounds a little uh, hyperbolic or tongue-in-cheek, but I think it's very well accepted across the globe that we need immediate action. And this leasing moratorium um, is just the first step to start to reach those goals. As you heard, Senator Winterson frame this is uh, in economic terms, right? Uh, he says 80% of the uh of the jobs in, in some areas of the Uno Basin uh, depend on oil and gas. Uh, what's your response to that? The economies depending on uh, these oil and gas leases. Well, it's a couple fold. I mean, uh, it does right now. Uh, at every turn, I think we hear we hear elected leaders like Senator Winterton to Governor Cox to other state officials doubling down on the fossil fuel industry and not trying to pivot to that clean economy that we know is coming and we know has to be the driver. Um, There is going to be a fossil fuel industry for some period of the near term. So those kind of jobs that the senator was speaking about are probably secure for the short term. But there's just no escaping the fact that there's – it's a dead end. The fossil fuel economy is a dead end. And the sooner those, those elected leaders recognize that and work affirmatively to seize these other opportunities, uh, the sooner their constituents are going to be more economically secure. So we talked about, uh, of course, climate change, global warming, uh, and a, you know, trying to hasten a, a, a transition. Uh, what about the sensitive lands? Are are any of these uh, oil and gas leases, I guess, in the recent future, or or you know, um, set to it, it, that's now uh, prevented by this moratorium? Are these on sensitive lands? Well, so let's so let's back up if you don't mind for just a moment. So, you know, here in Utah, like most of the West there is a surplus of lands that are already under lease and not in development. So in Utah, lands managed by the Bureau of Land Management, which is, an, which is of course, an agency of the Department of the Interior, 
the BLM manages uh, approximately 23 million acres here in Utah. Um, more than 3 million acres are already under lease now and have been for some time. That number's been slightly declining um, throughout the Trump administration. Uh, but only 1.1 million acres of that 3 million are in production. So when you hear people like Senator Winterton or the governor or uh producers in the basin say that the sky is falling as a result of the moratorium, I think the real question, I mean, the real question is, um, they already have million, more than 2 million acres under lease and not in development. So why would a moratorium do anything to near-term economics? Uh, and, you know, similarly, there's, there's a surplus of already approved applications for permit to drill that aren't being acted on. And that you know, really has much less to do with uh, how long it takes to permit a well versus the economics and the fact that the Uinta Basin is uh, slow to rebound and quick to shut down. Uh, and you know, that's just, I mean, unfortunately, for those folks, I suppose, that's the way the world works, that it's, uh, it's a more landlocked, uh, an isolated basin with a product that is not as economically favorable. Um, we know that of those lands that are under lease, uh, that there was this rush throughout the Trump administration to sell new oil and gas leases in some of the state's most sensitive lands. So, for example, in the Book Cliffs or adjacent to national parks, or in far southeastern Utah that's extremely rich and uh, rich in cultural resources and important to Native American uh, tribes. And by selling and issuing those leases, what the Trump administration has tried to do is to, uh, you know, really hamstring the Biden presidency and goals to move away from fossil fuels by selling as many leases as they could, as fast as they could, to tie the hands of the Biden administration and make it harder to do the turn and the pivot to uh, more of a green economy. If you just joined us, we're talking about oil and gas leases on uh, federal lands. President Biden has issued an executive order placing an indefinite moratorium on new leases for oil and gas development on federal lands. And we're talking right now with Steve Block, legal director with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. You can join this conversation, as Tom and Vernal did, by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess uh, at gmail.com. Um, so uh, President uh, Trump, his administration was very active, as you said, in, uh, in, in selling oil and gas leases. Um, also very active with executive orders and rules changes, right? And uh, so executive orders... Uh, those can be reversed, you know, stroke of a pen, right? <laughs> well, some of them can. We'll see. Uh, I mean, you know, we know that the state of Utah was really in the epicenter of the Trump administration's assault on the environment, attack on federal lands and the protection of federal lands. Of course, in December of 2017, uh, he made a momentary stop in Utah, his only stop here during his time in office, to sign orders dismantling the Grand Staircase, Escalante, and Bears Ears National Monuments. Uh, 
Um, and there were lawsuits immediately filed over that that never really crossed the finish line. Uh, and so as, the, as President Biden looks to uh, restoring some order here uh, and setting, you know, setting forth his agenda, he has identified that the restoration of those monuments is a priority. He, in the first series of executive orders he issued, uh, flagged that there's going to be a 60-day review for his administration for Native American tribes to uh, look at the reduced boundaries, look at what it's going to take to restore the monuments, or maybe on the Bears Ears side to expand the monument. Uh, the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition, those five tribes, support a 1.9 million acre national monument. President Obama established a 1.3 million acre monument. And um, so there's there's even the potential that the Bears Ears Monument is going to be expanded. Um, other Trump orders, some have been rolled back already. Some will take more time because they're less executive orders than change in regulations. For example, the Trump administration got um, revisions to the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA. They got a new series of regulations across the finish line, um, last summer, those are uh, tied up in court and may be rolled back, but that's, uh, that will take some more time. And then finally, the Trump administration, you know, almost from day one, uh, they asserted what was styled as an energy dominance agenda, which meant here in Utah, for example, that uh, the, sale and the sale of new leases uh, for oil, for gas, for coal, tar sands, and the, um, the approval of new permits to drill those leases were prioritized over essentially every other function of federal agencies like the Bureau of Land Management. And uh, that, that has been rolled back, and we're seeing more, uh, more order returned how these agencies operate, and there is an overriding emphasis on how do we tackle the climate crisis from all aspects of government and that land, federal lands have a very important role to play in making sure that um, we're able to stem the tide. I want to return briefly to Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante. Um, it, it looks like uh, the Biden administration, as you say, is moving toward um, Restoring the boundaries, maybe even expansion, um, and this under the Antiquities Act is executive order, right? The president has the power, but it is in the courts now, right? And so, the, do you think that'll be resolved? Uh, the president, yes, has the power. President, no, doesn't have the power. Resolved by the courts. Uh, I think what'll happen is if the president restores the monuments. Um, the litigation that's currently pending in the federal courts regarding uh, Trump's rollback of the monuments, that may be resolved. And it may just be that then there's new litigation filed uh, maybe by the state of Utah or some others saying that the president has abused his authority by establishing monuments that are too large or something like that. But those... Um, 
you know, what Trump did is very distinguishable, I think, from what a President Biden would do. What Trump did in the dismantling of the monuments was really quite remarkable uh, and, if not unprecedented, virtually unprecedented in the history of the Antiquities Act, um, as opposed to a Biden administration establishing new monuments. Well, we know that that's how the Antiquities Act works, that the Congress has authorized presidents to establish new monuments and reserve those lands. Uh, the question that we didn't get answered, it doesn't look like uh, it will be answered this time around, is whether that authority, even though it doesn't say it, also means that a president can roll back or dismantle a monument. Mm. I want to talk a little bit of follow-up on rules changes. So you, you, you mentioned NEPA, for example. Um, you know, these are acts, right, of Congress, but then administration has quite a bit of leeway under under rules, right? So um, that, I understand, is, is, is harder to, to change. Well, there's two things. I mean, you're right that, you know, the National Environmental Policy Act is an act of Congress. Uh, federal agencies, in this case the Council on Environmental Quality, or CEQ, is the agency, is the executive agency that uh, promulgates rules. So what the statute means and how it's applied. And CEQ had longstanding rules in place for National Environmental Policy Act, and the Trump administration hurriedly rewrote those rules. And as I mentioned, they got them across the finish line last summer, and they were effective in September. Um, there are two ways to essentially undo that. One is there are a number of court cases around the country challenging those regulations as unlawful. Uh, for a variety of both substantive and procedural reasons. Uh, the other way to roll it back may be through what's called the Congressional Review Act, um, which the Congress used quite extensively when President Trump took office. Uh, it's a little bit of a nuclear option um, that allows the Congress to roll back rules and other executive agency and executive actions um, for a certain for a certain amount of time. So the Congress, so this Congress, which of course is controlled by the Democrats, could look back to rules as far back as summer of 2020 and could undo those through this thing uh, called the Congressional Review Act. It's a little unusual, uh, but the Congress in 2017 did use that authority to roll back a number of the Obama uh, rules and policies. If you just joined us, we're talking about oil and gas leases on federal lands. President Biden has issued an executive order on new oil and gas leases on, on federal lands. Uh, and you're welcome to join this conversation uh, by email to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. We have uh, two or three emails have come in. Let's get to those. Uh, this is Mark. Uh, Mark says, having lived in the Rangeley Basin area for six years, it became obvious that the oil and gas industry can be categorized as boom and bust. On two occasions, when the bust came, folks pulled up stakes in the middle of the night, leaving their homes they could no longer afford. The region needs to be diversified if it wants to be economically successful. Relying on oil, gas, and coal for future economic success is not viable. That's Mark. 
Uh, Steve Block, you want any comment on that? Well, I, I mean, that's obviously right about the boom-bust economy. We've seen it in the basin. We've seen it in western Colorado. Um, I want to give some credit to Uinta County. I mean, there are small steps that they're taking to attract a little bit of that diversified economy. If it's focusing on dinosaur national monuments, if it's focusing on mountain bike trails um, uh, or some of the reservoirs that are closer to town, I mean, those are the more sustainable sustainable activities that um, really need to be focused on more than simply doubling down on the oil and gas industry. If I can diverge just for one second, you know, yes. Senator Winterton talked about the Uinta Basin Rail Line, which is really this uh, pipe dream, if you will, um, of taking oil produced in the basin, trucking it. Well, so, I mean, it's a few things. One, they're going to, the plan is to continue all the truck traffic on Highway 40 that runs from the Uinta Basin all the way to Salt Lake City. And then they want to double the production in the basin and have more production trucked to just a little bit outside of Duchesne, sent by rail to Price, and then trained someplace else, like maybe uh, Cushing, Oklahoma, or something like that, which is another, so they can access more markets. I am very hard-pressed to think that the Biden administration is going to allow that to move forward. That is just antithetical to what they're trying to accomplish uh, in terms of fighting the climate crisis. And I, it's just another example to me of this really wrong-headed doubling down on the fossil fuel economy. Instead of trying to say, you know, we have these other opportunities in the basin, there are some other green economy facets of the green economy that we could focus on. There is, uh, of course, a branch campus of Utah State's in Vernal. Let's see what's out there. It's more of the doubling down on what we know is a dead-end part of the economy. We have about uh, four or five minutes left. A couple of emails to get in. I'll uh, get to these uh, next here. Glenn in uh, the Una Basin says, uh, Hello, I need to take some umbrage with statements made by Senator Winterton. Currently, I'm sitting on an oil lease at about 7,000 feet elevation. He claimed there are few days in which air quality is bad. I see the air quality from here. Right now, the basin air is turning brown, as it is quite often the norm. This is a view looking toward Roosevelt and Vernal, and he sends a picture uh, showing that. So I wanted to get that in. And uh, then here, here's from Bill. brings up an interesting point. I'll have you have, get a quick reaction from uh, Steve Block to this. Uh, Bill says, Industrial activity by the oil and gas industry on public lands is heavily subsidized by American taxpayers, creating a fundamental priority within our economy for oil and gas production on public lands. Leases to drill for oil and gas on federal lands are sold far below market prices. At the same time, other activities like solar and wind power and outdoor recreation do not receive the same priority, limiting the amount of economic activity they're able to provide to local communities. Hopefully some of these inequities will be addressed during the leasing moratorium and review. That's Bill. This goes to what you were saying, I think, Steve Block. Well, it does. And I think with regard to uh, rejiggering some of the uh, the future of the oil and gas leasing and really the future of fossil fuel development on public lands, I think the point of the moratorium is to, is to look back and see if the way the federal government has been handling leasing for the past 
30, 40 years since, uh, certainly since 1976, passage of uh, new federal laws that oversee how federal lands are managed, um, are leases being sold at a fair price? What's the royalty rate? What is the rate of success for reclamation? How are we doing on inspection and enforcement? Um, yeah, hopefully it will be this kind of a top to bottom review. And the end of that, I think, is going to say that the way the system has been operating is broken um, and it just can't continue in the way it is. And uh, I mean, really, as I said at the outset of our conversation, um, I think the focus of the Biden administration is going to be the climate crisis is real. The federal lands have a very important role to play in how we find our way out of that. And fossil fuel leasing and development is just is, is not the way to accomplish those goals. Just a couple of minutes left, uh, Steve Block. Is, you mentioned, you know, the Biden administration's overall goals uh, addressing climate change, global warming. Um, uh, you, you sounded hopeful about that, um, and this is just one piece of that. Maybe just in a minute you talk about the overall uh, goals, what, what you see as the high points there. Well, I mean, I think that it's just such a refocusing of the energy of the nation um, away from America first and this inward-looking um, focus throughout the four years of the Trump administration to re-signing the Paris Climate Accords, recognizing that the United States must have a leadership role in how the world is going to address this crisis. And uh, I don't know if hopeful is the right word, but I am. Um, I think we all need to be doing everything we can to make sure that the future looks as bright for our children and grandchildren as it was for us, and that um, that's going to mean a lot of innovation. I think there may be changes. I don't know if sacrifice is the right word. There's going to be changes in how our economy functions, but I think that there's more opportunities than, than anything else. Well, we uh, are at the end of the program, and we've been talking with uh, Steve Block, uh, Legal Director with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Uh, thank you so much. All right, Tom. Thanks so much. Thank Bye. you. And earlier in the program, we talked with Senator Ronald Winterton, state senator, Republican from Roosevelt. Our thanks to him as well. Thanks to you for responding to the program, and thanks for listening today to Access Utah.